do any of you have any stories that you look back in time and you know that God, you probably should have lost your life or something horrible would have happened, but instead God performed a miracle? There's two stories I like to think of often. One of them is about me and one of them is about my husband. And I'll start with me. Um, in 2008, I believe, I did Bible work following up the Minnesota GYC. And um, I, we were in the, in the cities in Minneapolis. My sister lives in Rochester. And so I would work Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sabbath. And so Friday was my day off. And so I would usually drive down Thursday night to spend Friday with my sister and then come back up on Sabbath. Well, um, one Thursday, there was a pretty bad snowstorm coming. I don't know if any of you have spent uh, any portion of time in Minnesota in any time between January and even June. Um, it's pretty cold there and awful. And so um, there was a bad snowstorm coming, but I really wanted to spend my day off with my sister, so I decided to drive anyway. So I was driving, and pretty immediately, um, my windshield iced up. And so, except from probably like two inches, kind of in a rainbow here from my windshield wipers, I could see out. And I was going really slow and making progress, although things were pretty hairy, and I really should have just stayed home. Um, and I was, you can see, you know, there's only like an inch here, an inch up here for me to see out, and so I almost missed my exit. So what did I do? I last minute turned to get off on my exit, and that did not go well. I spun off the off-ramp into down a bank, and um, it was fine, you know, the car wasn't hurt, I wasn't hurt, I got out because someone immediately pulled off and was like, are you okay, blah, 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 and I got out of my car to hear him, and um, I was like, yeah, I think everything is okay, and then he looked behind him, said a swear word, and drove off, and I looked to see what he was looking at, and there was another car doing exactly what I had done, swerving right towards me outside of my car, and you know, when you're in the snow, I don't know if he's going to go right or left. I just started running, and um, the next thing I knew, I was, I, I felt, I was just ended up on my knees. I don't know how, and the car landed between me and between my car, barely. Um, and I know that that was an intervention of God, um, because things could have gone a lot differently. My other story is about my husband, Stephen. He went to Africa before I knew him, I don't know when, a while ago. And um, he was leaving early with another um, missionary. And so, as I understand it, they were to get on a bus that was going to take them to Nairobi Airport, and then they would fly out from there. So they got on this bus, and they knew their exit, or the, you know, the train, or the bus stop name. And they were waiting for that, and waiting for that, and the bus, more people just kept getting off. They didn't hear their bus uh, station. More people kept getting off, and they went more and deeper into the city, and it started to get uh, not very safe, and it started to get worse and worse, and eventually the bus route was over, and they had to get off, and uh, they didn't feel safe at all, but they had no other option. So they got off, and not long after that, they found themselves surrounded by pretty tough-looking Africans, and they couldn't understand what they were saying, and Stephen knew that this was not a good situation, and um, out of the blue comes this nice-looking African who spoke perfect English, and he said, what are you doing here? And Stephen briefly explained his situation. He's like, you, know, you should not be here. Come with me. And he led them to his car, and he drove them to right where he needed to be, right where they needed to be. And I love those two stories because they give me hope when I'm in trying times. They're like, 
anchors or Ebenezer's. I know that God is working, that God cares for us, and he has saved us in the past, and he's going to walk with us in the future. It makes me think of a verse in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. If you want to turn there with me, 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. This is a beautiful, beautiful verse, one of my favorites. It is spoken from Hanani the prophet to Asa king of Judah. And 2 Chronicles verse 16, chapter 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. If you go back two chapters to 2 Chronicles 14, chapter 2, you can read, um, starting in verse 2, about Asa. This is uh, the king of Judah at the time. And verse 2 says, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. For he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places, and broke the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places of the incense altars from all the quiet cities, or all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was quiet under him. And he fortified cities in Judah for the land and had rest. He had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore, verse 7, he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers, gates, and bars while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears, and from Benjamin 280,000 men who had carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. And verse 9, then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against him with an army of a million men, that's nearly double what Asa had, and 300 chariots, and he came to Maresha. So Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephathah at Maresha. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. And verse 12, the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Not only did they flee, Asa and his army followed them and uh, defeated them and plundered them. And um, in Prophets and Kings, page 110, Ellen White says about this story, from every human viewpoint, the vast host from Egypt would sweep everything before it. But in time of peace, Asa had not been giving himself to amusement and pleasure. He had been preparing for any emergency. He had an army trained for conflict. He had endeavored to lead his people to make their peace with God. And now, although his forces were fewer in number than the enemy, his faith in the one whom he had made his trust did not weaken. Having sought the Lord in the days of prosperity, the king could now rely upon him in the day of adversity. His petition showed that he was not a stranger to God's wonderful power. I love this story because here is Asa, who's doing all he can in time of peace, and then here comes this Ethiopian uh, army that seems very scary and very um, 
discouraging. But in this trying circumstance, Asa did not lose hope. He turned to God. And the title of my sermon today is, And Hope Does Not Disappoint. Trials do come. They will come. If you don't ha haven't had one yet, good for you, but they will come. Um, but God gives us a beautiful hope. And if you don't remember anything from today, I want you to remember this. Don't lose hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just ask that you would please uh, join us this morning as I share of your goodness. I pray that you would touch hearts and Lord that we would love you more because of this story, because of the great things that you have done. Amen. I want to start by reading a compilation of verses from Psalm 116 to you. I love the Lord because he hears my prayers and supplications. He listens whenever I call, so I will depend on him as long as I live. The pains of death engulfed me and I thought I was dying. I was distressed and greatly troubled. Then I called on the Lord. I beg you, O Lord, please save me. Our merciful and gracious God heard and saved me. He is full of compassion. O oh, my soul, rest in the Lord, for he has been generous with you. He has saved me from death, stopped my tears, and kept me from defeat. So I will walk in the presence of the Lord as long as I live. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will greatly receive the cup of his salvation and thank him for saving me. These verses from Psalm 116 have been especially meaningful to me um, in the last almost year now. Um, <clears throat> some of you may be familiar that um, last August and leading into the fall, um, my husband Stephen and I were dealt a one-two punch um, when we were excited to grow our family, but found out that um, it was not a baby, it was actually a molar pregnancy. And there probably are going to be a few of you in here that don't know what that is. I didn't. Um, it's when tissue that usually becomes a baby instead becomes an abnormal growth in your uterus. This has been pretty devastating and a hard trial for us, but God has shown himself strong on our behalf through this trial, and that's why I'm here to tell you of his goodness. <clears throat> I am very much a type A planner personality. And what's bad is I also married a type A planner personality. And so between us, we have lots of lists that we love to make and check off. We love to have plans. We have little meetings, and we plan our week each week and every day. And we're really, really bad planners. Good planners, but in a, you know, almost too much. Um, and so, but if you're like me or my husband, you know that it's very important that your plans pan out how you plan them to, right? Um, when they don't go according to plan things aren't good. Well, um, I grew up only 19 months younger than my sister, and because of that, we just did lots together. We um, were just one, part, one grade apart in school, so we had a lot of the same friends, did a lot of the same things, went on the same trips, and we eventually became very good friends because of this. And so her and I had both decided when we have kids, we want to have our siblings close together um, so that they can grow up friends doing everything together like we did. <clears throat> so you can imagine when I found out I was pregnant, um, I was going to have another child less than two years from um, my current daughter, Savannah, um, that I was really excited. On top of all that, um, two of my other best friends were also pregnant, and we were all going to be due within one week of each other. And so everything was going marvel marvelously and very according to plan. 
Well, not many days after I found out I was pregnant, I started bleeding. And I thought I would uh, give it a couple days. And I, after a few days, I decided to call my doctor. And I thought, they'll probably just say, listen, you have an appointment in a couple weeks. Why don't you just watch it and come in in a couple of weeks? I thought that because that's what happened to a good friend of mine who had a similar situation. They kept, she called and called, and they kept brushing her off to wait. Well, um, this is where my first blessing actually happened. Um, because I was not brushed off, I was not told to wait until my appointment. My doctor ordered blood work for me, and I went in the same day. And the same day I got blood work, I got a call from my doctor. And they said, you know, we've uh, ordered an ultrasound for you today. Do you think you can make it at 4 p.m.? And I knew in my heart of hearts that probably wasn't good. I asked them what the reason was, and they said my HCG was high. Now, in layman's terms, HCG is your pregnancy hormone. It's a long word that I could probably say if I wasn't nervous, but um, my HCG was high. And so I, um, where am I? Okay, so when your HCG, when you are not pregnant, usually your HCG is between zero and five. When you are at the height of pregnancy, as pregnant as pregnant can be, it usually hovers around 100,000. Sometimes it's a little more, um, but that's usually a normal healthy pregnancy. Well, my HCG was 140,000, which is very high for as early on in my pregnancy as I was. Well, I didn't know that. All I knew after this phone call from my doctor about the ultrasound was that I had a high HCG. So I went to Dr. Google, and I looked out to see what could a high HCG mean. And I found that it was probably one of three things. It could either be a baby with a chromosomal abnormality, a molar pregnancy, or twins. So I decided that I was having twins. <laughs> and I didn't do any other research. Well, I went into the ultrasound that afternoon, and there was no baby. And so they, the um, doctor there told me that I had had a spontaneous um, miscarriage. And while that was sad, I was relieved that it wasn't anything more serious. I did find it curious, however, that my doctor called me that same day again and said, you need to come in and talk to us tomorrow, because by this time it was, it was late in the day. The next day I visited my doctor, and I found out that I was the lucky 1% of people who get pregnant to have a molar pregnancy. I had read that I had a molar pregnancy, but I didn't read what a molar pregnancy was. And I learned that, like I told you earlier, it's tissue that should be a baby, but instead it turns into some abnormal growth. And it also has the ability to turn malignant and metastasize. And so my doctor wanted me to get a chest x-ray and a scan of my brain immediately. And um, along with the imaging, my treatment included a DNC surgery to remove all the tissue. And then I had to have weekly monitoring of my HCG via lab work. And, um, couldn't start thinking about growing our family for another year after that. And so all of this was very scary, but I was most upset that my plan for having children close in age was completely foiled at this point. But there was nothing to be done but follow treatment protocol, and so that's exactly what we did. Um, we were actually feeling pretty upbeat because my HCG levels were really falling nicely every week, um, and we were feeling like God was blessing. And um, three weeks later, I ended up hemorrhaging and going to the ER because of that. And right here, I'd like to pause because there's just so many ways that God blessed, little ways that you don't really think of in the moment. But um, this was a Monday morning that it happened, and 
My husband is a surgeon, and Mondays are his block days, which means that's his time set aside to do his operations. Well, he didn't have any early morning cases on that Monday, and so he was there with me when all that happened. Another miracle was that my mom answered her cell phone right away, and um, <laughs> she was able to come up and take care of our daughter while we went to um, the ER. And you know, we had just been near family for just a year and a half. I, I shudder to think if this had happened when we were far away from family, what would have happened, because they were such a support and such a help, and God really knew what he was doing the whole way. So we were trying to get a hold of my doctor. Um, my my OB doctor had sent me to a gynecologic oncologist in Sacramento right away. And so he was the one that was watching my HCG levels and just kind of taking control. But we couldn't get a hold of him when I was hemorrhaging, and so I didn't want to drive an hour um, to our hospital there to see my doctor. So we drove to the one my husband works at that was just eight minutes away. And um, he was able to call in the best gynecologist in town. And this was another amazing blessing. Um, on our way to the ER, we did get a hold of our Sacramento doctor, and he told us that my HCG had again spiked. He didn't tell us that on the day that my I got my lab work. He waited, and it was not very good timing. But anyway, um, this, gynecolo this gynecologist in Grass Valley where we went was just another blessing at this time because he came in, and he was like this, knowledgeable, capable grandpa. It was just a wonderful mix of confident and compassionate. And um, he was the one that um, performed my second DNC to stop the bleeding. And he was also the one that told us right before surgery that they saw metastasis on the CT, on the CT scan I had when we went in, um, in my lungs and my liver. And so he not only prayed with us before surgery, but he also stood in the OR and held my hand as I fell asleep. And that was so encouraging for me during this time. God really sets us up for our trials, and he gives us as much comfort and hope through bad times as, as um, I mean, there's no limit. And so I just praise him for thinking every little detail through. Over the next two days, I had more tests and doctor appointments. At this time, um, I was working with an oncologist in Grass Valley as well as the uh, gynecologic oncologist in Sacramento. They were working together. The Sacramento doctor was kind of leading uh, the treatment planning in charge, and then I was going to get my treatment through the oncologist in Grass Valley. And um, we learned a name for the new um, malignant invasion in my body called gestational trophoblastic neoplasm. Uh, he staged me as high risk, mainly because of the metastasis in my liver that was seen on CT. And because of this, this was very aggressive cancer, I needed to start treatment very quickly, and so we did speak with some trusted physician friends um, in Ohio where we used to work, and then around where we were, and we felt confident that this was um, the right thing for us to do. And so two days after I was in the ER hemorrhaging, um, I started chemotherapy. And um, the chemotherapy regimen that was recommended for my high-risk case was called Emico. And each of those letters stands for a different drug. Um, and by themselves, they're pretty nasty in combination. I was terrified of them. 
they had um, short-term side effects like hair loss and infertility, and then long-term side effects, which would be like leukemia popping up 20 years in my future. Um, so I was almost more scared of the drugs than I was the cancer, although I didn't want the cancer either. Um, but that being said, I am a firm believer in evidence-based medicine. Um, I wanted to use the scientifically proven methods to treat my cancer so that I would be around for um, my daughter as long as the Lord willed. Um, that being said, I did want to do what I could to help my body boost my immune system and be as healthy as I could. And so I did that through um, basically just eating really good and several other things if you'd like. If you're curious about that, we can talk about that um, separately. So I had my first round of chemo in the hospital because it included a 12-hour infusion of methotrexate. And we didn't have time to set up home infusions because we just really wanted to get going attacking this cancer. Um, that night, my room was full of family and friends from our church. I was prayed for and anointed, and this was just another wonderful blessing from God. People from literally around the world started telling me that they were praying for me, and that really bolstered my courage. I just love how global our Adventist family really is. Um, however, these early days were also very challenging and scary and dark. Um, many told me that I was brave, but in honesty, I was not. Um, to be completely honest, and I, I'm not proud of this, but I'm just trying to share from my heart, um, when we were driving to appointments and especially to check into the hospital for my first round of chemo, part of me hoped that I would get in a car accident and we would just end this right here. And that might seem kind of extreme or melancholy, but um, I'm trying to tell you how terrifying it is. Um, as terrified I was to walk through this valley of the shadow of death. Um, it wasn't something that obviously was not in my plan, and it didn't seem like something that was fun. Um, as a health professional and also in my personal life, I've seen the worst side of cancer, as I'm sure many of you have. My grandmother died when I was in high school of cancer that spread to her liver, and all I could think of was, now I have cancer that spread to my liver. And on top of the emotional turmoil and fear, I also felt pretty bad physically. As you can imagine, I lost a lot of blood, so I was tired and felt weak, and I had a really pounding, pounding headache. I felt like my head was going to explode every time I moved. Um, but I don't remember feeling angry. I don't even really remember much deep reflection at the time. So many things were happening so fast. It's almost like I moved directly to the acceptance of the situation. Um, this is what was before me, and I had to walk through it. Uh, but I do remember telling God, you know, I don't want to do this. I do not want to do this. This is scary, and I don't want to do this. But I don't want to do it without you. So you have to do this with me. Um, during this time, I found David Asherick's book, God in Pain, tremendously helpful. Has anyone read that book here? Uh, the very first chapter starts with Psalm 23, and I thought I would just read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. 
Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He points out first that God is our leader. He goes before us. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters, right? He leads me in paths of righteousness. He is our leader. He is in front of us. The end of the chapter says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Who is good? Who is merciful? It's God, right? He is not only before us. He is hemming us in from behind. And not only does he lead us to the green pastures, the quiet waters, the paths of righteousness, he doesn't stop when we get to the valley of the shadow of death, does he? He's still leading us. And if he's leading us to that valley, he will lead us through that valley as well. And it's interesting that all these stops are along the way for us to go dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David Asterix says it a little bit more eloquently than me, so I thought I would share a quote from this first chapter. He says, Sublime and serene are wonderful, but the wise shepherd knows that there are lessons that simply can't be learned there. So he leads where we need. He knows that the journey to heaven is as much a journey to heavenly-mindedness as it is to a location, and that it is more about a process than a place, more about an experience than an end. From this present perspective, life's trials, pains, and vicissitudes can be viewed not so much as obstacles and inconveniences to be avoided at all costs, but as helpful, even essential stops on the journey. For this is no ordinary journey. It is not a mere line or series of points from A to B and beyond. No, it is a journey with the shepherd to the shepherd. Sorry, I don't want to sniff in the mic, but I believe that God uses trials and he uses them for his good purposes. I also believe that Satan uses trials and oftentimes he's more successful. Trials are completely overwhelming. When we feel out of control, we have this tendency to turn inward and look at self and try to protect self. And we kind of go in this downward spiral and feel overwhelmed. There's a book by Steve Mays entitled, Overwhelmed by God and Not Your Troubles. And I love that title. I love that thought. Because it is very true. If you change your perspective from your trial to God, he will overwhelm you in times of trial with his goodness, with his mercy, with his comforts, with his hope, with his forgiveness, with his grace. One of my favorite verses, Psalm 61, verse 2, says, From the end of the earth I cry unto you, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And that was another very comforting thought to me during this time, that there is someone bigger and in control. Um, the song, This Is My Father's World, there's a, there's a line in it that says, And though the wrong seems often so strong, God is the ruler yet. And Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord's throne is in heaven, and he is king over everything. Now, it might seem pretty simple to you, and it is simple. It's a simple concept. We know God is all-powerful. He is in control. But to me, this is just what I needed to get through this trial. He was in charge, and he was in control. I pondered his amazing might and how, like for Asa, he could change everything, right? He could have prevented this from happening. He could heal me. He could turn everything around, but he didn't. He could have, but he chose not to. And for me, that was really comforting because it meant 
There must be something in this trial that I need, some good in it for me. And that paradigm shift was very faith-building. And then Esther sent me this quote by C.B. Hands, speaking of Job. Beneath every disaster, every disappointment, beneath all the perverse things that wrecked his plans, crushed his hopes, and robbed him of friends, goods, wealth, and home, he believed there was a divine purpose and benevolent hand. I love that. A divine purpose and a benevolent hand. God does not make mistakes, and he does not intend us harm either. If we are going through things that seem hurtful or harmful or like one big mistake, we need to remember that God is on his throne. He is in control of what we go through. And if we cling to him, whatever comes our way, he will see us through. But like Asaph, we need to be preparing in times of ease. So that when trials do come, it will be as natural for us to turn to God as the flower to the sun. Steps to Christ, page 86, says, From the stars that in their trackless courses through space follow from age to age their appointed path, down to the minutest atom, the things of nature obey the Creator's will. And God cares for everything and sustains everything that He has created. He who upholds the unnumbered worlds throughout immensity at the same time cares for the wants of the little brown sparrow that sings its humble song without fear. When men go forth to their daily toil as when they engage in prayer, when they lie down at night and when they rise in the morning, when the rich man feasts in his palace or when the poor man gathers his children about the scanty board, each is tenderly watched by the Heavenly Father. No tears are shed that God does not notice there is no smile that he does not mark. If we would but fully believe this, all undue anxieties would be dismissed. Our lives would not be so filled with disappointment as now, for everything, whether great or small, would be left in the hands of God, and this is what I really like, who is not perplexed by the multiplicity of cares or overwhelmed by their weight, we should then enjoy a rest of soul to which many have long been strangers. Isn't that beautiful? God is not overwhelmed by anything we go through. Not long after this whole whirlwind, this all actually happened pretty close together, um, a good physician friend of ours who works in Boston heard of my diagnosis, and on her own, she just decided to do her little own research and see what she could learn about molar pregnancies and gestational trophoblastic neoplasm. She actually found at Harvard in Boston, there was a man who specializes in this. Now, 1% of people who get pregnant get molar pregnancies, and even smaller percent of that turn into cancer. So this is pretty rare. There's not a lot of doctors who are familiar with this. There's not a lot of research that's been done. There's been some, but um, the man who has his name on many research papers in this topic was the man that my friend found at Harvard. And so she tracked him down, and she's like, hey, my friend has this. Do you think maybe you could look at her chart and give, give your opinion? And bless that man. He was an angel. He said yes. And um, when he gathered, when we got all our stuff to him and he looked at everything, he's like, you know, I really don't think it's in her liver. That's actually pretty rare for it to go in her liver. Um, and if it wasn't in my liver, I wouldn't be a high-risk case. Now, if those two facts were true, that means I wouldn't have to continue with the five-drug awful chemotherapy regimen. I would be um, reduced to a single-agent 
chemotherapy with not as many bad side effects. So when Stephen and I heard this, we were really excited. This was too good to be true. But we were also really confused because we had talked with several physicians in our area as well as Kettering and they all seemed to concur with my diagnosis. We had a plan, you know, here's my plan, getting messed up again. And now this person that we didn't even ask has decided to come in and say something completely different. And so we talked about this and we were confused and we thought, you know what, we have two other uh, second opinion consults set up at this point. I was going to go to Stanford and then I was going to go to Mayo Clinic. And um, we decided to pray that if it was God, if this Boston guy was saying what was true, God would help the two other second opinion consults say the same thing without us prompting them to. So I, we kneeled down and I prayed first. Does that make sense what I said? Okay. I don't want to confuse everyone. So I kneeled down first and I prayed and I said, Lord, you know, we're hearing this new thing. We have two second opinion consults coming up. If you could let them say the same thing as this Boston guy, um, please help lead us in that way. And then I blurted out, no, I did not plan on saying this. I blurted out, and Lord, please help our doctor here in Sacramento to change his mind to agree with the Boston doctor. And I could not, I did not plan on saying that. I don't know where it came from. And I was like, yeah, right. Doctors do not change their mind on diagnoses, right? Not usually. And they're definitely not going to let the patient know that they decided they were wrong. Nevertheless, I had prayed it. Well, not many days later, probably just two days, I don't remember the exact timeline, I was talking to our physician friend from Boston. She had given the radiology images of my liver to a GI radiologist, someone who looks at pictures of livers all day and works at Harvard, and he said he was 100% sure it was not in my liver. While I was on the phone hearing this amazing news, I got a text from our doctor in Sacramento, and he asked us to please call him. When Stephen talked to him, he said he had met with a couple other colleagues, reviewed my case, and changed his mind. That it was not in my liver, and that I was not a high-risk case. Talk about an answer to prayer. I could not believe that God had me pray such a ridiculous prayer, only to answer in such an amazing way and so quickly. And it was at that point that I knew I was going to be okay. I knew the second opinion consults were going to agree with what this Boston guy said. I knew that I was going to live and that God was on my side. God gave me a new Ebenezer, a new story to look back on for future trials. And so that's exactly what happened. I started a single agent chemotherapy regimen for three months. I finished in December, and to this day, I am still cancer-free. So I am praising God for that. I am still in monitoring for another six months or so. But I just have to say another fun blessing right in here. Um, my chemo regimen wasn't a set schedule. We were just following my HCG levels. So once my HCG levels were in the normal range for three consecutive weeks, um, then I would have three more rounds of chemo and be done. And so um, you can imagine every time I got my number, I was calculating and trying to figure out when I was going to be done. Well, my calculations um, showed that I was going to be done on Christmas Day. Well, sometimes it pays off to be bad at math because um, the week before Christmas, I learned that that was actually my last chemo. And I just thought that was so precious of the Lord to even give me the holiday off. 
everything was just very thoughtful throughout. His blessings are very numerous throughout trials, and probably not just when we're in trials, but I think that's when we're most open to seeing them. And while I'm grateful, very grateful to God for what he has done through this um, trial in my life, I do want to acknowledge that not all trials have such a wonderful outcome. The hardest part of this trial for me wasn't the medical treatments, it wasn't the physical ailments, it was the disruption in my plans, it was the disappointed hopes. And I think that's something that we can probably all relate to on some level. When something in our lives doesn't go as we thought it should or planned it would, disappointment settles in, doesn't it? And that might be something we all struggle with on a daily basis. In Romans 5, Paul tells us that he is glad for trials and suffering because it produces patient endurance. And patient endurance produces strength of character. And strength of character gives us unshakable hope. And then he says, and such hope does not disappoint. In a world full of disappointment, Hebrews 6 tells us that hope is a firm and secure anchor for our souls, leading us into the very presence of God. Psalm 42.11 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted with me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. 1 Peter 1.3-7 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope enables us to hold our heads high, refocusing and lifting our heads to the goodness of God, taking our eyes from the weary path that we are walking to the glorious goodness of God, reminding us to trust in the perfection of his ways as he leads us home. Whether there is no more sadness, no more disease, no more disappointment. And those who walk through trials, no matter the outcome, can cherish this hope. Life is not void of trial. But God does show himself strong on our behalf in our most difficult times, if we will allow it. Sadly, many do not choose this. Instead of allowing them to be, themselves to be overwhelmed by the goodness of God and the mercies in midst of trial, they turn from the only one who has promised to never leave them or forsake them. And many turn away for good. Today, my only appeal to you is for you to not be that person. If you feel overwhelmed by trial, maybe not currently, but maybe in the future, cling to Jesus. He will offer you hope that will withstand any disappointment in life. Don't lose hope. I promise you, if you look for it, you will find it. God will overwhelm you with his goodness. And so, in conclusion, I just want to stand here today 
to praise God for the hope and the beauty he has shown me in the middle of trial. I want to thank him for reminding me he is a man of war and he is showing himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. I also want to thank many of you who knew what was going on and prayed for me and sent me that wonderful care package that really bolstered our courage and I just want to thank you for your act of love. And so in conclusion, I want to read a couple of verses from Psalm. Praise the Lord, O my soul. May everything within me praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget all the benefits he's given you. He forgives your sins and heals your diseases. He has kept you from an early grave and treats you with love and compassion. He gives you the comforts of life so your strength is renewed like an eagle's. Blessed are those who find strength in you and who travel the road to Zion. When they pass through the valley of weeping, they will find springs of comfort. Amen. In closing, Esther asked me to sing a song, which I'm going to try to do. I actually wrote this song during all of this. And... Um, the verses are contrasting what we know of God and then what we experience in life because sometimes those are two very different things. Um, but the chorus is just a prayer that God would um, help us navigate those times. And I pray that you are blessed. I'll sing this and then we'll pray.
teach me to trust you in the darkness of the night. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you. Thank you for knowing what we need and for being there through every step of the way. Thank you for being the shepherd who is before us and behind us, who is with us in the trials as well as the good times. Lord, we want to make it to the house of the Lord to dwell forever. And we just pray that you would stay by our side. We thank you for the hope that you've given us. And I pray that every person in this room, in any trial they might currently be in, or a past trial they can't get over, or a future trial that's coming, Lord, don't let them lose this hope. We thank you for your love and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.